It's good to see everybody tonight. It's good to see your faces, at least half of it anyway. Um, God's good, man. I love coming to church. I love being a part of the body of Christ. Um, I love coming and just being able to kind of uh, unplug from the stuff of the week. You know what I'm talking about, right? The stuff of the week, the junk of the week that can kind of bottleneck. And this space right here, we're able to come together and we are able to just put everything aside and worship the Lord together. And for that, I am extremely, extremely grateful. I thank you, Pastor Shaw, for letting me steal a few moments tonight. Uh, I appreciate it. I love you, Mr. Shaw, very much. I love working with all of our church staff here, all of you, Brother Seth. Uh, I love every one of you guys. And I'm excited for what the Lord is going to hopefully speak to us tonight. I feel ex excited about kind of what God's been laying on my heart the last couple of weeks, maybe culminated in the last couple of days. And I just want to kind of just speak to you for a little bit about a passage, a block of Scripture that, for me, it really speaks to the character of God and who God is and what He wants to do, not just in our lives, but what He expects from us in relationship to Him. So, just real quick, I'm going to take you, you can stay seated, I'm going to take you to the book of John. We're going to be in chapter 2, verses 1 through 17, um, and we will go there for just a moment. It's going to seem like a long reading, but it's really not as bad as what it may sound here. So, John, John chapter 2, starting with verse number 1, and it says, On the third day... There was a wedding in Cana of Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Now both Jesus and his disciples were invited to the wedding, and when they ran out of wine, the mother of Jesus said to him, They have no wine. Jesus said to her, Woman, what does your concern have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, Notice she just ignored them. You know, she just didn't really address what he said. She pulled the mom rank, and she said to the servants, Whatever he says to you, do it. Do it. Now there were set there six water pots of stone, according to the manner of purification of the Jews, containing twenty or thirty gallons apiece. And Jesus said to them, fill the water pots. Here's what else is kind of interesting and cool. Mom ignored Jesus and just spoke to the servants and gave them instruction. And what's amazing is you see here that these guys did exactly that. They watched and they waited, anticipated what they were instructed to do. And Jesus said to them, fill the water pots with water. And they filled them up to the brim. And he said to them, Draw some out now, and take it to the master of the feast. And they took it. When the master of the feast had tasted the water that was made wine, and did not know where it came from, but the servants who had drawn the water knew, the master of the feast called the bridegroom. And he said to him, Every man at the beginning sets out the good wine, the good stuff, the high price stuff the expensive stuff. 
And when the guests have well drunk, then the inferior. You have kept the good wine until now. This is the beginning of signs that Jesus did in Cana of Galilee and was manifested and manifested his glory and his disciples believed in him. We're going to keep going for a few, a few more till verse 17. Okay? And here's where it starts to change. And after this he went down to Capernaum, he, his mother, his brothers, his disciples, and they did not stay there many days. Now the Passover Passover of the Jews was at hand, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem, and he found in the temple those who had sold oxen and sheep and doves and the money changers doing business. And when he had made a whip of cords, he drove them all out of the temple and the sheep and the oxen and poured out the changers' money and overturned the tables. Overturned the tables. And he said to those who sold doves, Take these things away. Do not make my father's house a house of merchandise. Then his disciples remembered that it was written, Zeal for your house has eaten me up. And just for a little bit tonight, I want to talk to, speak to, preach on this idea, the Saint Jesus, turning water into wine and turning tables. The Saint Jesus that turned the water into wine the same context, the same place, he turned tables. He did a lot of turning. We're going to talk about that for a little bit here tonight. Let's go before the Lord in prayer, asking for him to be with us tonight. Lord, we love you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord, for everyone. Bless everyone that came, Lord, in and tuned in, whether in person or online. Lord, I pray right now that, Lord, this word would go out and it would fall on ears that are ready to hear, hearts that are ready to receive. Lord, and we'll be quick to give you all the glory. And all the praise in Jesus' name. Everybody said amen. amen. So from time to time, you'll, have, you'll hear the question, or it's asked to you, uh, what's your favorite book in the Bible? Mine is, I've kind of learned to say this, if I'm not just thinking it, I'm saying it. It's whatever book I'm in at the moment. It's whatever a book that I'm reading in the moment. It's whatever book that I'm diving into in the moment. The Word of God is so... Huge! It's so vast. It's so powerful that you, you just about the time you get into the book and you want to move on, you all of a sudden find that if you want to, you can continue to drill down into just a few verses. The Word of God, I believe Charles Spurgeon said it like this. He said, the Bible just deepens and widens as you read it. The more you get into it, the more you love it. The more you begin to understand and delve into and try to unpack all that's in it, the more it just begins to reveal. As a matter of fact, I tell our young people all the time, I tell myself this all the time, that the Bible and prayer and reading the Word is one of those things that, that you do. And as you do, you acquire more of a love for it. The best way to not like the Word of God is to not read the Word of God. The best way to find value in prayer is to never pray. But as you begin to get more into the Word of God, as you begin to pray more, as you begin to do those things, you find it's 
real value in your life. You find it. Unlike a meatloaf. Unlike a meatloaf. My mom made a meatloaf way too much as a kid. And no matter how many times I ate meatloaf, eating it next week two or three times did not help me like meatloaf any more than I already did. It just didn't work. It's one of those things that you either like meatloaf or you don't. What kind of name is a meatloaf anyway? Like that is by itself, that's just a turn off, right? So, but the Word of God and getting into the Word of God and prayer, it's one of those things that as you exercise it, as you do it, and as you begin to feel the, the a return of the power of those prayers, of reading the Word, the more you say, hey, you know what? I'm not going to be so quick to go on to the next chapter, the next book. I am going to just sit right here and delve and dig and get my hands into the Word of God. And this kind of happened with me again for this chapter and in the second chapter of the book of John. I began to get into it and I began to unpack it a little bit more and I have read it several times and I looked over it several times throughout the year. You know, is it, does anybody else in here, you kind of like to read through the Bible once a year or so, or you try? Who in here starts and then you stop, like on January 2nd? <laughs> or, or you stop on the evening of January 1 and that's it? Some of us, we know the book of Genesis front and back. Some of us know if you start, like in me, sometimes I like to start in the New Testament, you know a Matthew chapter 1 with all the genealogies pretty well, and then you stop. I'd read John over and over and over again, and I love the book of John. John out of the four, Gospels, to me, it really dives into who Jesus is. It really dives into the nature of Jesus Christ, the divinity of Jesus Christ. And knowing all that, it was awesome. It was great. But I began to unpack it a little bit more, and I saw something here in John chapter 2, in these verses here that I've never really seen before when it comes to the nature and who God is and what He is for us. So, John 1, I, I, I love how John just begins to unpack itself. John chapter 1 begins with very familiar words. John chapter 1, verse 1 says this, In the beginning. Where else have we heard that before? We hear that in Genesis 1 and 1. In the beginning, God created heavens and the earth. But check out how John 1 and 1 begins. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. I'm just going to keep... Keep reading here for a sec. He was the beginning. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him and without him, and nothing was made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shines in darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. Then that little portion of scripture kind of ends, it kind of crescendos with this verse, all the way down in verse number 14. It kind of, at the beginning of John, just caps it off. And this is, I don't know how you can read this verse and not get amped up, not get excited. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And He beheld, and we beheld His glory, the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace 
and truth. Full of grace and truth. And it's this right here that John begins talking about the glory of Jesus Christ. Who He is and who He was and what He came to do. In in Genesis 1, we get God the Creator speaking life and light into darkness. In Genesis 1 and 1, we get Jesus Christ, God, or the Word with us, speaking life into humanity, bringing salvation. John 1 continues to go into the story of John the Baptist, how he paved the way for Jesus Christ and appointed to Him. At the end of John chapter 1, you have the calling of a few disciples. You have him calling a few, and what's interesting, you look into that, there's so much in this passage, there's so much here that it's hard to pick a spot and jump in, but you see him calling a few, and then you see just a couple of those disciples turning around and calling a few others to Jesus Christ. That's what he desires to do in us, to call us and then get us to turn around and call others, to pull others in. So that's how John chapter 1 ends. And then it goes into John chapter 2, which absolutely blew my mind as I began to look at it again. Absolutely began to blow my mind. And here we start with Jesus at a wedding. Jesus at a wedding. Who in here likes to go to weddings? Unless you're in it or unless you're a part of it in some kind of way, maybe a lot of ladies do. Guys, if you're not a part of it, it's one of those things, shoot me in the face right now. Let's just get through it and let's go. Jesus is at a wedding, and this is how John chapter 2 starts. Weddings were extremely important in these days. In Bible days, it's no coincidence that the first recorded miracle of Jesus was recorded At a wedding. Throughout the Old Testament and the Bible, the Bible isn't just a collection of books. The the Bible is an ongoing story of God and humanity and how He loves us and how He wants to draw near to us. And one of the ways that He constantly drives home the point of who we are in, in, in a relationship to Him is in the analogy of a wedding. We are the bride. He is the bridegroom. That puts on display the love that Jesus Christ has for us. Came. And that was one of the ongoing, reoccurring analogies and ways that He kept bringing us back. The people of Israel, the people of God, which is who we are. There were Israel in the Old Testament. Now it's the church. It's open for everybody. But we can look at the a nation of Israel, and we can see us, and we can see all the times that the people of Israel would commit and then stray. Commit and then get distracted. Commit and then decide, oh, I like this over here a little bit better. But every time God would bring them back because there was a covenant in place that he would say over and over again, you belong to me. I am yours, you are mine, and constantly driving this home in the arrangement and the analogy of a marriage. So here's where we have John chapter 2. Jesus starting out at a wedding. At a wedding. So 
we've talked about this a little bit. I made note that when he, whenever his mom said, whatever he says, you do it, she completely ignored Jesus. Completely ignored him. I love this passage because you can preach and teach and look at this and be edified from so many angles and aspects of this story. I've heard a preacher preach it from the perspective of Mary. Of course, you've heard it preached and taught, and maybe you've read a devotion or you've read it, and you've really been nourished by an aspect of it from the perspective of Jesus Christ. I remember preaching a message on this very a passage from the perspective of the servants. They're like kind of the heroes here. They're like nobody. They're like stuck in the middle. Here's this bossy woman that comes up and says, pay attention to him. He'll take care of you. And they're like, who's he? Who are you? Who's he? But she leaves, and they're stuck. They're looking at Jesus like, I don't know who you are, but there's something about you that I feel compelled to keep my eyes on. And that's, that's a witness that I want to have. That's a witness that I want to have, that, that I can have an interaction with somebody. And I can have such a strong witness and conviction in my spirit to point them to Jesus Christ. And not because of me. I can walk away. But there's something about the witness that I left. Not my own strength, not my own power, but it's by the anointing of God. I can point them to Jesus and they feel compelled to keep their eyes on Him. You've heard this passage. It's been preached on from several different aspects. You've probably learned something from it from several different aspects. But this is where it begins. The Jewish wedding was paramount in this time. Absolutely huge. It just wasn't a a thing that happened between two individuals. This Jewish wedding, this big deal. I mean, you think you spend a lot of money nowadays on weddings. This thing could go for seven, sometimes even longer than that. But seven days, seven days it could go. Just the party going. The party is is hopping. It is all over the place. And not only was it for two individuals, it was for two families coming together. Two families coming together. And it wasn't just an arranged marriage even though essentially that's what it was. It wasn't just an arranged marriage, but it was an intentional agreement to maintain the values, to maintain the principles of not just two individuals, not just two families, but in a sense, a community of people. This Jewish wedding was not just attended by the families. Seven days it was attended by a... Much, if not all of the community. It was huge. It was a big part of, of the lives of ancient Israel. And Jesus finds himself at this banquet. I love how the Bible lays it out. Many times the Bible can give us things in chronological order, right? And then if you're like me, just about the time you're on a roll and you think it's all in chronological order, you get confused because you realize, wait, that didn't happen then. It happened back there or it hasn't happened yet in chronological order. But by divine inspiration of the Holy Ghost, it was decided to place it in the arrangement that it's in. 
And one of the things that I've learned to love about the Word of God is to read it as it was given. God, in His wisdom, moving upon the writers to pin the Word of God, to place the Word of God in its order, it's not just about it being in chronological order. It's about it being in the order that God wants us to receive it in because there's a message in how it's been arranged. And from the very beginning, you see Jesus at a wedding and He's wanting to show us some things. And what He's wanting to show us, the book of John, the book of John, what He's wanting to show us is that for those that respond to Him, and look to Him in complete faith and confidence, He can be moved. He can be stirred. And this is a big picture. This is kind of 30,000 feet above, but it's almost as if how the Scripture is arranged and how it's given to us here, it's almost as if we're being told from the very beginning, I am here, I'm for you but I'm here for you to respond to me, and you can move me even before I'm exactly ready. You can move me by your faith even before I'm exactly ready to step out. Now, you would have said, oh, no, that's his mom, and he had to. Yeah, he was human after all. But you have this example in the Word of God. You have this example in John, chapter 2. He starts off by saying, here I am. Do we see Him as a God, as a Savior that is willing to respond to us and ready to respond to us, even if it's not exactly in His order or in His time? The Word of God, this is nothing new in the Word of God. This is nothing new. He's a God that wants to be moved. He's a God that wants to be approached. He's a God that wants to be looked to and asked things of. He's a God that, even though he's, he's patient to wait on us, and He's sure to wait on us, He's a God that responds to bold faith. Bold faith. Here's something else about the Jewish wedding here. The Jewish wedding was a, was a wedding, it was a time of joy, it was a time of, of, of excitement, it was a time of people coming together, and it's almost as if we're being told that this is one of the foundational characters of God. This is how He operates. Joy unspeakable, full of glory. There's so much we find in Jesus Christ. There's so much we have in Him. There's so much that we have access to in Him if we will just step into it. Step into it. But quickly, but quickly, you have Him turn water into wine and you go from such a story and powerful movement and story like that to almost the the flip side, no pun intended, of what happens. Back to back. He does this great thing, his first miracle, and it's powerful, but quickly he goes from that to going to, to a Jerusalem. Passover time. He's walking into the, the temple. 
And he begins to see things that just doesn't add up to him. He begins to see things that begins to bother him. And it begins to stir and burn in him. He goes from the joy, or how the Bible has it arranged. It presents to us the joy and the high and the good times of a wedding and showing us the character, the spirit, the attitude of God towards us. And then we dovetail right into this story of Jesus just losing it. Just losing it based on what he sees. And, and I begin to look at this. I begin to think, Lord, what are you trying to tell me? And it's almost like he began to talk to me along these lines. As he said, Derek, I'm wanting to sh- 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 show you from the very beginning who I am. I'm a God full of compassion. And you see that in the story of the first miracle at the wedding. I'm a God of compassion. I'm a God of love. I'm a God that stands ready to be moved by the prayers of my people. But you know what, though? I'm also a God of conviction. I'm not just a God of compassion. I'm also a God of conviction. The disciples said it best when they remembered. It said, zeal for the house of God. A statement taken from Psalm 69. Zeal for the house of God has eaten them up. He said, Derek, I'm a God full of compassion, but I'm a God full of conviction as well. And as the Christian, somebody dependent on me, striving for holiness, that's two sides of the same coin. They are in attention with one another. You can't have God's compassion but yet get too slack in a conviction. You can't really have God's conviction, but be too slack in His compassion. We serve a God that is full of both. And because He's full of both, it's part of what makes Him Him. Because of His love, He has such high standards for us. He said, Be ye holy as I am holy. Strive for me. Press towards me. I tell our young people all the time in getting involved in youth stuff and things. I'm like, look, we're not looking for you to be perfect, but we're but what we're looking for you to do is to press towards the mark. Because it's in that pressing that you find God. It's in, it's in that striving towards a mark that you hear His voice. But here's what happens to us and me. I'm talking to me just as much. We like the keep the party going, Jesus. We like the turning water into wine, keep the party going, Jesus. Let the good times keep rolling, right? We like that part. But we don't necessarily like the part of turning tables, Jesus. We don't like that part. We like this over here, but we don't like the turning tables over here. As I begin to look into this and study it out a little bit more, this happened where he turned the tables. He said, you have made my place a house of merchandise. You have made this place, you have turned it from a house of prayer And you have turned it into a den of thieves just looking to make some profit. Just looking to make some money. And what's interesting, when you begin to study and look at some of this stuff, you begin to see that this took place in a part of the temple called the Court of Gentiles. 
the court of Gentiles, was relatively a new addition to the temple during this time. Probably about 20 years before the birth of Jesus Christ, King Herod, in an attempt to kind of flex a little bit on people, he built this big courtyard around the temple. And what it was basically used for, let's see if I can put it in terms that we understand. It was, put, it was basically there to kind of operate as kind of a cultural awareness center. People could walk through. Jerusalem was a place people wanted to go to and just check out. Not only was Jerusalem a, kind of a happening place, the temple was one of the places that was one of the wonders of the world. Like People would travel just to see the temple. And this would give them access to get as close to the temple without actually going in. Something that was relatively new, something that had never been there before, but this is what Jesus had walked into. And we can't think that this is the first time he had been there. By this time, he was 30 years old, maybe. He had been there before, but the Bible places it right here as if to let us know right after the story of the wedding and turning water into wine lets us know that Jesus Christ, God with us, is just as serious as conviction and zeal and love for His church, love for who He is, love for His standards, love for holiness, as He is about, about compassion. He's just as intentional about it. He, and He wants us to live in that, to live in that, to love Him with all of our hearts. But in loving Him, we develop some strong convictions that, are, that is geared towards Him above all else. To love Him with all of our heart, soul, and mind. And when I began to think about this, it was, it was, Derek, you do. You like to keep the party going, Jesus. You like turning water into wine. Let's extend the good times. Let's talk about the good times. Let's dwell on the good times. But when Jesus Christ wants to, by the Holy Ghost, start to get into my space, when He wants to start to get into my heart, when He starts to want to get into my spirit, when He wants to start to kind of talk to me about my bitternesses and my, and my stuff that angers me and my stuff that keeps me blocked off from receiving more and all of Him that I possibly can, when He wants to come in and turn over a few tables in my life, I don't want that part. I'm like, Lord, let's just go back to the wedding. Let's just, oh, if I could just go back a, f- a few years and relive that and do that and reevaluate that, try that again. Let's keep that going. But we don't want Him in us turning tables. And now we are the temple of God. This is where it gets really personal. We are the temple of God. It's 1 Corinthians 6. A 19 and 20, um, I believe it's David Ross or whoever is back there. If you can get that for me for just a few moments. Um, we have this scripture here that is extremely powerful. and I would like to read it in front of all of you if, if I can. If not, that's okay. It tells us that we are the temple of God. Don't you know 
that you are now the temple of God. We don't look to a building. We don't look to anything else. We don't look to a piece of land, a piece of property for the the dwelling presence of God, but now with the filling of the Holy Ghost, we are filled with His Spirit, and we are the temple of God. And that's the space that He wants to get into. That's the space that He wants to start to, to get into our lives and turn some things up, turn some things around. And it struck me, man, it struck me, how you went from almost this Mama's boy Jesus, just doing what mom said, passive, and like, I'll go ahead and do it, to all of a sudden this guy that is going ballistic because of what he sees that is wrong in a place that was supposed to be a committed place of prayer, a place that was supposed to be a place of worship. It's now being contaminated by just a desire to look and appeal more to the things around it, to the, uh, the culture around it. That's what the court of Gentiles was. The, the uh, Gentiles, those that were non-Jews and didn't believe in God, they could not go beyond the court of Gentiles. This was a place where all they could do was come through and look, come through and see. And if anything, it would give them an upfront view of the Jewish world, but also the Jewish world could also kind of explain a little bit what they were about, and maybe they could find some common ground. This was kind of went on in the court of Gentiles, and what developed was this idea, was this thing where all of a sudden it became a place where more money was being exchanged. More people were beginning to profit from the things and the way that, that the temple operated. But now we are the temple of God. We've been filled with the Holy Ghost. We've been filled for, in the Spirit. And what God wants to do, power of the Holy Ghost, is to renovate our lives. To be able to come in and be able to identify things that need to be addressed need to be turned over, need to be cultivated. When I think of the motion of turning tables, you think of this motion of just digging in and just, rah! You know, who in here would just love to just have a space where if you get mad, instead of like having to hold it in, you could like go to a space and just go nuts. It feels good. It feels good. It feels good just to kind of just let off some steam. But I begin to think about that, and I begin to think of the parable of the sowers and the parable of the seed, or as some say, the parable of the soil. And that same motion that I had in my mind of Jesus Christ going in and turning over tables, I begin to think of the motion of tilling up the ground and a farmer without tools, tilling up the ground. And it's that same, same kind of motion of getting your hands into the dirt and just tilling it up, tilling it up. And I begin to think, Lord, I don't want, I want good soil. I want my life to be good soil. I don't want hard ground. I don't want th thorny ground. 
I don't want any of that. I want good soil. And part of that is being so good that even though it hurts, even though I may not like it, even though I wish you would just stop and quit and just let me be me and let me figure it out at times, leave me alone, but I want you to be able to get your hands into my life and till up and turn up my life and address anything that's not right. Address anything that's not measuring up to you. Address anything that's not measuring up to your word. Just address it for me. We want the turning water into wine, Jesus, but the turning tables, Jesus, that's kind of difficult at times. That's kind of rough at times. That's kind of hard at times. But here's the thing, is we serve a God that, that can be and is willing to have compassion. He's willing to be moved but His will is to also move us. And His will to be moved, and His will to be addressed, and His will for people of faith to come to Him and in faith begin to, by faith, instigate and put things in motion. We see that in the story of the wedding, the turning water to wine. One of the earliest places we see that, too, is in Genesis chapter 17. You have Abraham. This tension of the God that we serve being full of compassion, but also full of conviction. Genesis 17. It's a story that maybe we all know. It's a story of Sodom and Gomorrah and Lot. Lot and his families and Sodom and Gomorrah. And stuff is going down. Stuff ain't right. God wants to judge Sodom and Gomorrah. God wants to deal with it. God's about to turn some tables in Sodom and Gomorrah. But you know what Abraham does? He begins to talk with God. He begins to appeal to the compassionate side of God. And he says, Lord, if there's just 50, can you spare? Yes, yes. And he goes on down the line. God can't find 50. Get down to 10. God, if there's 10, can you spare? Still can find 10. But the point of the story is God wants His people to come to Him and reason with Him and talk to Him and appeal to the desire within Him to be full of compassion, to be full of mercy. So even in a moment where you saw the conviction, the zeal of God, the holiness of God, which the holiness of God, you see this in the story of Isaiah too. When Isaiah said, I saw the Lord high lift up, he's not talking about humanity, just the majesty of God. What he's talking about, he said, woe is me. When he talks about the holiness of God in that case, he's seeing God as pure and holy and right. And he sees himself as just a sinner that's full of his need for God. So when we talk about the holiness of God, we're just not talking about the big, bad majesty of God that's bigger and yet bigger than anything else. But what you're also talking about is the purity of God, pure love, pure joy, a pure rest, pure peace, pure compassion with no mixed motives within it at all. So you have this story even in Genesis of the conviction, the holiness of God, the zeal of God for purity, for holiness. But yet at the same time, when somebody, one individual, a person of faith, being Abraham in this case, began to appeal to him and look to him and try to say, Lord, if there's just ten, can you spare? And God was willing 
with compassion to spare. He's a God that's full of compassion, but full of conviction. And we can't begin to leak on either one of those, even as followers of Him made in His image, because it's those two things, compassion and conviction, that's the two sides of the same coin of holiness. This is big picture, okay? Pastor Shaw can get into a whole lot more details on holiness. But for me, this is what was speaking to me. This is what God was speaking to me. Derek, be zealous about me. Love me, but be compassionate for me. You see this in closing. You also see this as well. In a very amazing story, when Jesus comes down from the mountain, he's been, it's the story where he's a trans, a trans, a figured. It's the story where uh, three of the disciples went up with them, had amazing experience with God, with, with Jesus. And, 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 and they wanted to build a temple. They wanted to say, wow, this is so great. Let's build a temple. Let's build something here. And, 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 and you have the voice of God the Father saying, look, it's Jesus. Hear him. It's him you're to look to. It's him you're to hear. He comes down and they come down and, and all of a sudden they're approached with the raw humanity of what's going on. And there's this father. This father that has a son. That he is possessed of the devil. The devil gets in him and throws him all over the place. And, 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 and it's a terrible scene. And, and all of a sudden you have... This father that says, when asked, he said this, he said, Lord, I know you're a man full, and the word he uses there is compassion. He said, you're a man full of compassion. I'm appealing to you. And Jesus says, if you believe, I will heal. And in a very honest moment, I commend this man, because I feel like him more oftentimes than not, it seems. He screamed out in a moment of desperation, Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. Again, a God that answers to those that are crying out in faith, asking for compassion. Asking for compassion. As we stand tonight, I want us to be able to walk out of here I want us to be able to walk into our lives and know that God has called us to some mighty things. It's amazing what the Bible says, when we humble ourselves and pray, then I will answer you, is what the Scripture says. But you know what humility is? Humility is sometimes just complete honesty before God. Sometimes the purest form of humility is just pure honesty before God. An honesty that says, I believe, maybe I should be further along, maybe I sh shouldn't. I believe, but Lord, help my unbelief. I'm appealing to your compassion. But I want us to walk out of here. I don't want to just tell us something maybe we've never heard before. I ultimately want to speak to us in a way that inspires us and kind of instigate us, um, instigates us to go out and do something we've never done before. Walk out these doors with a desire 
to live out a bold conviction, a bold holiness, boldly approaching His throne, boldly living out our lives. Go out there and live with that conviction and, and holiness, God's majesty and purity being reflected in you and through you, but also walk out knowing, knowing that you have a God that's full of compassion, full of love, full of hope. And if we can walk constantly with those two things in mind, compassion, conviction, conviction, but because of that conviction and being completely sold out, I can feel and I can have compassion because I'm sold out all in, all my heart, all my soul, and all my mind. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Let's just lift our hands before we go, Lord, just saying, Lord, we love you. We thank you. Lord, I pray right now for every single one that's here in person, online. Lord, I pray that you can help us go from here understanding, Lord, that you're a God that's full of compassion. You're a God that desires to be stirred. You're a God that is willing to be moved and ready to be appealed to, but you're also a God that wills to move us and to stir us along in our faith. Lord, right now I pray it. I pray it that we can have such a revival, Lord, of holiness, holiness of conviction, holiness of compassion, and a holiness, Lord, that looks first and foremost to magnify you above everything else. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. For those that would like to continue to stay and pray, you're more than welcome to. Otherwise, God bless you. I just want us to go and to know that God loves us and He's stirring us up. And he wants to stir us to compassion. And he wants to stir us to conviction. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, amen.